As well, today I'm excited. We begin a new sermon series today called The Road to Calvary. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at Luke's Gospel from now and leading right up to Palm Sunday and Easter. So let's grab a Bible, turn to the, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 together this day. Luke chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 together this morning. I might take a look at some other verses and passages in Luke's gospel. Uh, so you want to hold your place there in Luke 22. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible there in front of you. You can turn to page 881 in that pew Bible. It'll get you where you need to be. Hear God's word. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are serious, somber words before us this morning. And I pray that you would Help us to see how serious, significant these words are and how appropriate they are for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 95% of New Year's resolutions are fitness-related having to do with a new workout regimen or a new diet plan. But the majority of us will have given up on our New Year's resolutions by February 1st. A friend of mine shared with me a very subtle but significant tweak to your perspective on New Year's resolutions as they pertain to diets. He said this, don't look at it like you're dieting. Don't look at it as if you're depriving your body of what you really want and you really desire. He said, rather, look at it as your new nutrition plan. That may sound silly, that may sound kind of trite, but it was a significant, though subtle change. Why? Because he was encouraging me, don't look at what you're trying to, quote-unquote, deprive your body of enjoying, but rather focus on how you're going to fuel your body. Focus on what kind of energy you're going to pour into your body. He said to me, when you go to the 
to the 7-Eleven or you go to the gas station, you don't just pick out any type of gas pump, do you, that you're going to fill your car up with? I said, well, no, because my car runs on unleaded gas. He said, exactly. And if you put diesel in your car, what's going to happen? It's not going to last long. It's going to sputter. What was the point he was making? The point was this. It's very significant, but subtle and important. What you put into your car, what you put into your body to fuel it. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, I didn't come here today really to focus upon New Year's resolutions or gasoline that I put into my car. But if you're like me, and I think you are like me because you're here on New Year's Day, we came here to be nourished in our faith, didn't we? Isn't that why you're here? That's why I'm here. I'm here to come to God's Word this morning and to have my soul and my faith nourished by God's Word. Now here's what's good about the shelves of Scripture. You can pick any place and anywhere and it's going to be good food for your soul. I want to encourage you that you're going to have a couple different offerings of ways to to feed your faith and nourish your faith in Jesus Christ this new year. On Wednesday nights, this Wednesday, I'm excited because we're going to kick off a new series uh, getting in the beginning of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm excited about that study. I'm excited about this new sermon series called The Road to Calvary. Because this sermon series is going to help us prepare our hearts to celebrate Easter. Because from now all the way up to Palm Sunday and Easter, we're going to be taking a look at the passages of Scripture in Luke's Gospel that lead us right up to Calvary, to the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we prepare to celebrate His resurrection on Easter morning. But as we go along the way, what we see today is really a passage that could trouble us at first, right? And you may think, how in the world could this passage feed my faith to Tanner? Because what we see here in chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, is that trouble is brewing. Our Lord Jesus has one of his very own disciples, one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, who's committing treason against King Jesus. He's betraying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he conspires with the chief priests and scribes how they might have Jesus killed because they're trying to exterminate Jesus from the face of the earth. So why would we turn here today to feed our faith? Because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training us in righteousness. And so this morning, I want us to see how Judas's betrayal even matters to me and matters to you today. This passage provides provisions 
for our faith in Jesus. It provides a source of nourishment to our soul this morning. This morning I want us to focus on uh, three provisions that this passage offers our faith in Jesus Christ. And there are three provisions that all begin with the letter C because it helps me in my OCD and hopefully helps you remember as well. What's the first provision that this passage provides us in our faith in Jesus Christ? It provides you certainty. It provides you certainty. How so? In case you haven't noticed, as we've been strolling through Luke's gospel, Luke has a way of time-stamping everything that he talks about. Just a week ago, we were reading Luke chapter 2. Do you notice how Luke time-stamps the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. What's happening there? Luke is time-stamping the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What is Luke doing here? He's time-stamping our Lord and Savior's road to Calvary. He says in verse 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread was drawing near. That happened the same time every year in the Jewish calendar. It happened around March 14th, 15th, April 14th, and 15th, somewhere around there is when they celebrated the Passover. Which you remember was what they celebrated as God sent the death angel throughout Egypt as God rescued his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. Then the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the week celebration that followed the Passover. What's happening here? Luke is time-stamping Jesus' road to Calvary. Now, why is that important to Luke? Hold your place in Luke chapter 22. Flip all the way back to Luke chapter 1, verse 4. And you'll see that Luke has been concerned about you having certainty about your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's start at verse 3. He says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? Verse 4. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That has been the motivation for Luke writing his gospel, his account of Jesus' birth, Life, teaching, death, resurrection, and ascension. You can, skip, you can flip back to Luke chapter 22. Why does Judas' betrayal matter to us today? Because the Holy Spirit wants you to have certainty about what you believe. As we light Advent candles, as we remember shepherds and we see kids dressed up like cute little shepherds and angels and beautiful Christmas pageants and celebrations, there can be a dangerous tendency, as beautiful as those things are, to just kind of drift into sentimentalism about Jesus. But friends, what the Holy Spirit wants you to see in this passage is that your faith is certain 
in a real man that was really born named Jesus of Nazareth. He really lived, he really died, he really resurrected, he really ascended, and he's really coming again. And what for those that struggle with whether or not the Bible is reliable, I want you to notice the transparency that also provides certainty for our faith. If I was going to write an account about people that I've discipled over the years, there are several people that haven't listened to a word that I've ever taught them about Jesus. They've walked out on Jesus Christ. They've turned their back on Jesus Christ. And if I was trying to put my best foot forward, to be honest with you, I probably would not include those people in my biography or autobiography. But what does the Holy Spirit do here? It provides transparency even about Judas. One of Jesus' very own that betrays him, who hates him, and conspires to have him killed. This passage should feed your faith today because you serve a real Jesus. And I pray that this passage will provide certainty for your faith. When Jennifer and I moved from West Virginia to North Carolina, it was when I was entering into seminary. And this little hillbilly boy was learning a lot about the big city. I'll never forget getting a letter in the mail that was a, a bill. It was an invoice. And it was an invoice for running a red light. And I thought, huh, I don't remember getting stopped by a policeman. Well, there were cameras at every red light in Charlotte. They didn't need a policeman to stop me. Do you know why? The camera took a picture. And I remember opening up the invoice, and I thought, well, how do they know I ran a red light? And then as I flipped open the invoice, do you know what it had? A picture of my car and my license plate. Ouch. <laughs> what was that picture a picture of? The certainty, the proof that I was guilty. Friends, this passage provides certainty for your faith in Jesus. That it's true. How do we know? Because Luke timestamps everything in his gospel. That can be verified by outside resources, outside the Bible. And it's timestamped as it doesn't brush over people's ugliness of sin. That's the first provision for your faith this passage provides this morning, is certainty. The second provision for your faith this morning is comfort. Comfort. Well, how in the world can Judas's betrayal of Jesus provide comfort for our souls this morning? Particularly when you look at verse 3, which is terrifying, that Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. Isn't that terrifying? So how in the world can this passage provide comfort for us? What are the three keys to real estate? Location, location, location. What are the three keys to understanding the passage of Scripture? Context, context, context. Another way of saying location, location, location. 
And what we see in Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, is that the context of this passage was when the greater context of Luke's gospel. And what Jesus has done implicitly at least four or five times is he's hinted at the fact to the the Pharisees and the disciples that he's about ready to go to Jerusalem and be betrayed and killed. But explicitly three times in this gospel, in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 18, Jesus says explicitly to his disciples, I will go up to Jerusalem, I will be betrayed in the hands of men, and I'll be crucified. But even within Luke chapter 22, if you look over at verse 22 of chapter 22, our Lord Jesus provides the comfort that we need to see that Judas' betrayal is part of God's sovereign plan. The setting is Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples, serving them the Passover meal. Luke 22, verse 22 says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Who determined it? The sovereign God of the universe. Why does this passage provide you comfort in your faith? Because we hear and read here real history that was ordained by a sovereign God. Did Judas want to betray Jesus? Yes. Did the chief priests and the scribes hate Jesus? Absolutely they did. Did they want to see Jesus killed? Yes, they did. But behind that backdrop of hatred and sin and rebellion was God's holy Sovereign plan. That his son would be the one who would provide the greater exodus for his people. If you hold your spot in Luke chapter 22, if you go back to Luke chapter 9 verse 31... The the scene is the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to turn here because there are a couple of points that this passage adds, a couple of details it adds to this passage. Look at verse 30. It says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. The word there, departure, in the Greek is the same word for exodus. What's the point that Luke is making? The exodus of God's people being rescued from slavery and bondage in Egypt was a picture of the greatest, greater exodus that our Lord Jesus would provide us as Jesus would lead his people out of captive captivity to Satan, sin, and death. Why does this passage provide comfort to us? Because Jesus' death was all part of God's sovereign Gracious plan. And turn back to Luke 22. I want to thank you for the way you have spoiled us over the last month. Um, I think I told you I've gained 8 to 10 pounds thanks to your cooking. 
But the last doctor's visit that we had with one of Jennifer's doctors, he gave Jennifer a very encouraging report, and we're going to pray that the reports continue to be accurate and encouraging. And as Jennifer shares with her doctor's concerns and just you know, kind of fears and phobias that she might have, one of the most assuring words we've heard from her doctor to this point is this. Jennifer, everything's going according to plan. Even when things feel weird or look, she thinks things are going weird, the comforting words from the doctor to say, look, that's all according to plan. That's what we expected. That's what we intended. Friends, as we take a look at Luke chapter 22 and Judas' betrayal of Jesus, be comforted. It was all according to God's sovereign plan. This is encouraging to us because our tendency is to be like the chief priests and the scribes. Who does it say that they feared in this passage? Did you notice? It wasn't the holy God. It wasn't Jesus who was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It wasn't Jesus who's the Son of man. Do you see what it says in verse 2? And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Let me comfort you today in your faith. Don't be afraid of what man can do to you. Don't be afraid of what man could possibly do to you. Fear your sovereign, gracious God and Him alone. And that will be good food and good fuel for your faith in 2023. That's the second provision this past this passage provides us is it provides us comfort that Jesus' death was all part of God's sovereign plan. But this passage also provides us a caution. There's the third C. Certainty, comfort, and caution. How does this passage provide us caution that's good for our faith? Well, J.C. Ryle says this, that Judas Iscariot's betrayal of Jesus should be a warning beacon to Christ's church. How so? Well, it says here in the passage that Judas Iscariot was one of the number of the twelve. In other words, Judas was one of the ones who was called by Jesus, accepted the call to follow him. He forsook probably his, his lifestyle and his, his pattern of living to follow Jesus. He was with Jesus for three and a half years. They, they ate together. They, they picnicked together. They camped out together. He would have even been sent out by Jesus as part of the 72 to preach and to exercise demons in Jesus' name. What's the caution here? 
even though he walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, knew about Jesus, in reality, he was not following Jesus. He was following his own way. What a tragedy. It's a precious thing to see a covenant baby be baptized. It's a wonderful day of celebration. But it's also a serious day. Because if that child is raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, what we need to be begging the Holy Spirit to do is to make those waters of baptism effective in that little child's heart. Otherwise, we could be raising a little Judas among us that knows about Jesus, that's heard about Jesus, but is not following Jesus with his or her life. What does it say that the chief priests were glad in verse 5? They were excited because they knew that Judas was one of Jesus' twelve, and so Judas had the inside track to know where Jesus would be any given moment of the day. So what you're going to see in Luke's gospel is that Judas betrays Jesus at just the right opportunity. When the crowds are asleep and Jesus is away in the garden praying, that's the time when Judas has the officers of the temple come and arrest Jesus. But there's a greater, deeper caution to our soul that's in this passage. And I don't want us to miss it. It's the contrast between Jesus and Judas. Who is Judas conferring with in this passage? Two two folks. The chief priests and the scribes, which were 66% of the Sanhedrin. So Luke is letting us know as the narrator of this passage that when Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin to be tried, we already know, humanly speaking, how it's going to work out because 66% of the group is already determined that they want Jesus to be killed. But there's something greater, deeper, more disturbing going on here. The same word that's used of Judas conferring and conversing with the chief priests and scribes is the exact same word that's used of the Lord Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration as Jesus converses with Moses and Elijah about his passion that's upcoming. What's the caution? The caution is that you can know a lot about Jesus You can know a lot of theology. You can have a lot of conversations with religious people and not be in step with Jesus. That should frighten you to your core today. Church officers, that should frighten us to our core today. 
Our goal as elders and deacons in the church is to represent the mind and will of our Savior. It should be with reverential fear that we serve, we converse, we vote and make decisions. Because we don't want to be a Judas who's around Jesus, who talks about Jesus, but is not deciding things according to God's word. I'll get on a little bit of a soapbox for a second. I have been appalled and shocked by men in ministry that I know and love that chose not to meet for worship on Christmas Day. I know churches in our community that even their boards and their councils got together and they discussed and decided not to meet for worship on Christmas Day? Why? Because you need to put family first. Yeah, but not before Jesus. The man I started reading when I started my doctoral studies at Erskine Seminary, and a man who, brilliant, understands philosophy, understands the culture, has critiqued it. But this morning, they did not meet for worship. I was shocked. It's a caution to all of us that no matter how steeped in the scriptures we are, there's always the temptation for there to be trouble brewing in our hearts that we would get out of line and out of step with our Savior. Friends, is trouble brewing in your soul today? Then let us converse with our Lord and Savior and ask Him and beg Him to show us where we might be going astray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is true, that is timely, and terrifying. I confess to you, Father, that my tendency is to betray you in thought, word, deed, desires. What I pray is that your spirit would Draw me and draw us as a church daily back to you. And may we quickly sense by the prompting and conviction of your Holy Spirit whenever our foot goes out of step with you or we're tempted to betray you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to to go before the Lord in the Lord's Supper, let's stand.